Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name's Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. And today we're going to be talking about Wizard Magazine number 45, May 1995. But first off, you know the name of the game. Jimmy and I are comic book makers ourselves. Jimmy, <laughs> what have you been working on for quite a while that you can now talk about? I'm so excited to see that thing on the Kayfabe screen, Ed. The Hulk Grand Design Project is what's been keeping me busy for a year and a half, and now it is public, and this is all I'm going to talk about, when's all it, I'm showing everywhere. When's it coming out? Coming out March and April 2022, so before you know it, it'll be here. You guys watching at home, start telling your comic shop owners about it, tell them to reserve this, tell them it's going to be the book of the month, the book of the year, tell your friends. When you see it on articles, share those articles, like... The, the name of the game for me now is make everybody know about this book. So if you're watching at home, please give me a hand on that and uh, spread the word. Hulk Grand Design, March 2022. Wrapping up 500 issues of Hulk comics. In, 40 years, man. In, 40 years of Hulk coverage and a couple of couple of books. 80 pages. 80 pages. Can't wait to see what that looks like, Jimmy. Congratulations. Hit up Jimmy's link tree in the description below. He's got a Patreon and a lot of other cool stuff. Uh, Red Room is going to start coming out in February because of the paper shortages. Uh, this is the cover to issue one. Uh, there's Jimmy's uh, Zap Comics Zero homage cover. Peach Momoku did a retail incentive variant. And here's another one. If you can't wait until then, uh, hit up my Patreon uh, at the link tree in the description below. I'm serializing all this stuff on Patreon before it hits paper. You can pre-order uh, the other issues of Red Room uh, through Fantagraphics and, and places like that. Get it put on your pull list at your local comic shop. Uh, but Jimmy, the task at hand today, man, Wizard Magazine number 45, uh, we got both covers. We have the uh, the newsstand edition, which of course is, is how I got my stuff for the most part, and the direct market edition, you could tell by the popularity of the characters, man. This is a tried and true, uh, long-standing icon of American comics. You put that in the Piggly Wiggly, man, because mom and dad understands that. Mom might not understand Cyblade or whoever this character is right here, man, with the Mark Silvestri cover. Well, it he's... feels so anachronistic having these two next to each other. Like, this is your, your your dad's superheroes right here, and this is scare your parents' superheroes on this side. Yeah, totally, man. It's Mark Silvestri getting both boobs and both butt cheeks the, on the cover, man. So that... The trademark Silvestri twist. <laughs> and he's done that with Wolverine, even, by the way. <laughs> and we'll see more examples inside this issue of other characters he's doing that with. There's still a freaking uh, trading card market at this time, dude. And there's a whole gang of trading cards that look like this. Tell me that doesn't look like the sort of underlayer in Photoshop underneath the black line. A hundred percent. That's exactly what it looks like. Like, I'm, I'm, we need a kayfabe out there to put the black line on top of this. Let's see what it looks like with the ink with the ink line there. So, and uh, May 1995, the the uh, release for this. I'm graduating high school then and not buying Wizard. So this is <laughs> this is a new Wizard for me. I am deep into it. If I had the same copy that uh, that I had back then. If you opened it up, it would go directly to the Silvestri penciled rip claw. Cause I stared at that thing, and to this day I can't draw that good. Yeah. And it freaking blew my mind. This is uh, the April Fool's issue, but what's funny about it is our guys at Wizard need to ring a bell when they're making jokes, cause <laughs> this shit is as shitty as it ever was. And they're thinking they're they're being coy and silly in spots, and I'm like, no, this could be any fucking month. You know, when we go through these things, I'm I'm out of video games and I'm out of buying toys and stuff then, but I got one of those Evercourt things where you could play every single Genesis game. And when I saw this Ken Stacy art, by the way, I'm like, that looks really accomplished. That looks amazing for a Genesis game. And uh, went to the Evercourt, pulled it up, 
it's incredible. And I almost wasted a lot of time uh, this this past week playing this game. But, it, but it's hilarious. You know what it is? It's the end of the life cycle of the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. So those developers figured everything out. Every, they could squeeze every bit of juice out of that system and make stuff that looks just incredible. It's funny. You get to the end of it in these games like they make no splash. Like if this had right. been your launch game, who knows? Video game history might be different totally. if showed up with something like this. Instead, it's a game you never heard of until now. How did how did Valiant not cash in on Magic? Was it just slightly ahead of, of schedule or something? Like that feels like in hindsight such a valuable license that they have at their disposal there. At this moment, there was still a lot of movement in places other than other than comic shops with uh with with comics. And these magic comics would show up in places like West Coast Video and places like this. And how about this for a touch, man? They're trying to like fold in their birthquake nonsense bullshit with these like licensed properties they're they're on contract for advertising this you, you, you know like valiant always a big wizard booster yeah and you're gonna see it this is pretty sweet here and how many issues of this do you have all these i have some of them i have caged heat 3000 and death race 2020. death race 2020 is kevin o'neill yeah, doing, doing right your there. artwork and for that matter like if you read like the name of the the artists that are involved there are some really good artists that, that were part of this line. I'm not sure how many, if, if all those books actually were published or not, um, but I think most of them at least were. It's such a crazy time in these mid-1990s, and that's where you get Jim Woodring doing Star Wars comics and things, and I see Woodring's name on, on the docket, man. Pat Moriarty, he's he's like pretty gnarly uh, independent cartoonist. Who else do we got there? Gene Fama drew uh, Real Deal, no, real life comics for denny ihorn and you know where else i should track those down i like I, i've only seen cover work of his from this line and i like it a lot uh i should track those there's down. one other place you've seen his work that uh that you might not realize but i think he was a part of psycho comics with freaking klaus and rick alter got like wow. way back in the day Wow, that's bizarre. The, the other name that I see is Solano Lopez. This is the artist. He's Argentine and drew uh, Eternaut, the first Eternaut, yes, which I... blew my mind when I read it last year. So uh, kind of cool to see his name pop up. But it's it's some real good cartoonists that are involved in this line. Um, and the issues that I have look pretty good. So, you know, if you find those in a, in a dollar bin, grab those. All right, man. The editorial, Too Much of a Good Thing uh, by Pat, Pat McCollum. Good editorial piece in the wake of the speculator bust mccullum is kind of tracking his life through comics through the shops and stuff like that in this editorial uh you know the dust is still not settled and he's just talking about how he got into the comic book game worked in the comic shop really enjoyed the medium really enjoyed comics was an avid reader and then he started to speculate and not just like i'm gonna buy one to read and one to keep uh, he's talking hundreds of comics, and it got to the point where he's just accumulating stuff, not reading it, and certainly not uh, going to be putting himself through college or you know his kids through college with this stuff. And it really left a sour taste in his mouth. So the ultimate statement is, buy what you like, uh, enjoy enjoy the medium. Uh, don't don't try to uh, have some kind of Ralph Cramden, Magic Beans kind of gimmick and you know abuse the abuse the culture it's or, a long way from the uh the early days of wizard when it was like you can't afford not to buy 10 of every new valiant comic <laughs> they have switched messages when i was in third grade jimmy it was like 1992 uh no 1991 
uh, I was friends with this family of speculators uh, at this apartment complex we lived at. They had an entire room of like those like white acid-free boxes, card card boxes, comic boxes, and we would hop on the Schwins and go to the um, Rite Aid to go scoop up comics. And he's looking for what's up, Josh? I haven't seen seen that guy since third grade, but he's like digging through the the spinner racks, man, looking for the most pristine copies of various things. And never opening them, so like we would just read my comics, like and I and and we'd go to his house and we'd be able to like go into that room and like look and at 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 the stuff from a distance. Can't touch anything. Can't look at anything. There are binders full. Like maybe you could look at a set that way if they have two sets. But wonder it, how their Beanie Baby collection is. It really captured people's minds, and I mean, we were not well-to-do people in this apartment complex. Nobody was, and these people were heavily invested in fucking Richard Petty NASCAR cards. Dude. That's rough. <laughs> I remember when I got my driver's license, I would look in the yellow pages for comic book store listings yeah. and uh, be out in the middle of nowhere, some dude's garage looking in white box. You know, it must have been somebody that went from the card market to the comic totally. market and the speculator boom. And it's like, they're listed as a comic shop in the yellow pages. And it was like, I'll open my garage for you. Come on, come on over at like 7.30 on, on, a, on a Wednesday night or the, something. Well, the place where I got my Extreme Sacrifice comics, it wasn't any comic shops because they were all sold out. I went to a place called Allentown Bakery and these people, it was a bakery. They had a diamond account. You walk past the muffins, past the fresh bread. You go to this broom closet and they had like, you know, American greeting cards uh, stands and it had, you know, a couple half dozen uh different comics all image comics take uh, grab your pick yeah you got it got to call out the donna matrix the fans writing and demanding issue number two but not happening man they were they were heading towards the cd-rom projects well a spokesperson said that more donna matrix co comics are coming no release date has been set hey mike man we're still waiting that's true i'll, I'll buy donna matrix number two if you want to bring that if you want to kickstart that right now <laughs> I was admiring the Nighthawk art, his like clawed glove, you know, that, that goes over there. If you look really close, you can see like the mechanics of it. Yeah. Where like the fingers are all hinged and stuff for those claws. It's almost like Freddy Krueger, like upgraded to, you know, whatever Neil Adams could make in a practical Freddy, Freddy Krueger uh, working glove. You know, it's funny, man. You could buy practical uh, Freddy <laughs> Krueger gloves. And I do have a friend that has them with the same little rivets and stuff. It looks real mean. And they figured out the way to, uh, you know, you could jab down and not bend your fingers back. So, so I mean, it's really fucking mean, dude. Hey, go back one. Uh, you're gonna. T how much time are you gonna do on Guy Gardner, man? <laughs> I'm gonna be quick on this, but do you remember we've been busting DC ad chops in Wizard for like years, and they're still doing the same kind of layouts of like just dark on dark on dark ink. Yeah. What? Come on, man. Seriously, it's been a couple of years where they've been doing this kind of an, an ad layout. Yeah, yeah. Just, just no just, sense. Just get a page and color it black. <laughs> like seriously, it's it's almost what you're doing. Some nice envelope art. That top envelope. I don't know what that is about. Oh, that's the uh, Corinthian from Sandman. Is that it? Oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it looks good. I like that one a lot. Yeah, it has a McKeever vibe to it. If you look at uh, Sylvester at the bottom, has <laughs> bitten the head off of his... Uh, his nemesis. Yes. Tweety. Yeah, you're right. I didn't realize, man. <laughs> There's some weird tangents because it's almost Sylvester's feet instead of Tweety's, the way they're sitting there, one in front of the other. Yeah, and it could be like an impotent autoerotic asphyxiation kind of gimmick, too. Wow. If you look at it a Maybe certain way. Maybe that is not a bad tangent. Maybe that's very intentional. Yeah, he's just plucking his own fur. <laughs> 
the Dan Jurgens Solar stuff, good art. That's also, I think, Valiant Vision Time, and I picked that up recently at a recommendation of somebody, and it's really cool. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing with it or how it works, but it's very neat looking. Marvel buys Malibu. Here's another one of the Silvestri twist. I don't think that's Silvestri art, but it's his studio. Yeah. But it's like he's teaching his artists like how to, how to do both. We want to see front and back at the same time. Absolutely. <laughs> She's real a real precursor to Witchblade looking chick right here, man. Mm -hmm. Because we are we are edging into the bad girl era. It's so much fun to see like all the uh, studio books that these guys would come up with. Because Witchblade, of course, becomes a hit. Weapon Zero, not so much. Yeah. But you see that with like all the. Uh, you know, they all get the same push initially. Some catch on and some don't. And it's kind of cool going back through these ads and seeing, like, uh, how many books everybody was putting out. You know, hit, hit to, hit to like, uh, you know, just, just stock ratio. Jimmy, with what we know about the history of comics, the way the different businesses of comics work around the world, the image guys like Silvestri, Jim Lee, and Rob Liefeld they really operated the same way that mangaka operate like they had a studio system set up uh the difference with with uh, our guys is that it was a bunch of split energy just throwing spaghetti at the wall at a million different things but it's it all sort of yielded the same sort of net positive result of like the income stream that came in you know like in these guys they trained a bunch of people to try to draw like them and just turn out product but it's not that different than the guy who did Golgo 13 or whatever, churning out 30 pages uh, a week with 15 guys, yeah. like, grinding on the That's same thing. Point. Like, these guys could have done a monthly Cyberforce comic with uh, 15 people putting together the backgrounds and stuff. And they worked that way. Like, Mike Turner, we know a kid in, in Pittsburgh that, like, went out to, to Mike Turner's studio to uh, maybe, like, draw backgrounds or something and he came back with like crazy stories about like yo mike turner don't do anything but the faces like he just inks faces now Makes man sense. yeah uh sylvester interesting too because you know jim lee shows up and it's jim lee so you know wildcats won probably the best seller of all of that stuff liefeld youngblood but sylvester wasn't in that league mm -mm. for some reason which is almost inexplicable like he sold x-men books you know what i mean it's crazy that he was somehow a second tier guy with them but he found his characters you know, like Generation 2 of Mark Sylvester is where he finds these both characters and artists. David Finch, Mike Turner, you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but Witchblade, Darkness, I feel like that second wave of Sylvester stuff is what really sort of goes, you know, catches on. And yeah, it's almost right. like a book publisher where it's like you get one or two of these titles and that's your tentpole. Yeah. And he did it, but he did it through like, just keep making books and see what catches on. It's pretty smart. Yeah. Yeah. Cyberfush just wasn't hitting. People were digging Ripclaw and and they were shoving it down our throats, but people just weren't buying it. You couldn't find this stuff as easy as everything yeah. else, man. I love the Wizard News headlines. Marvel plans crossovers, Marvel cancels titles. Yeah. <laughs> it's so perfect. Yeah, dude, it's crazy the stuff that they canceled too, because it's like Darkhawk, Marvel Comics Presents. Like as, as we're growing up and developing our chops and stuff, Marvel Comics Presents was like the first like manageable place you could imagine see, seeing your work. Like, yeah. That, that was the place that would try new talent and stuff like that. And in submission guidelines, that would kind of be what the editors would kind of uh, prognosticate for the enterprising new talent. There would be like, 
DC Talent Showcase or something, mm-hmm. like these like little anthologies, and Marvel Comics Presents was important for breaking new people, and that goes away, and you see that, and it's 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 scary. It, it hurts, man. Darkhawk, like, I had a fondness for that because I was able to buy number one straight off the rack, but a lot of these, like Namor, Morbius, Night Thrasher, Silver Sable, these are all things that came out in answer to uh, the Image Guys number ones, so that's like second wave of number ones. Of course, those things ain't going to be uh, long for this world. In fact, they lasted much longer than I thought they would. Yeah, you know the Marvel Comics Presents? I always think that was a big newsstand seller for Marvel. So now you're looking at maybe the, the shift has totally gone away from newsstands, too, once they decide to cancel that one. This era, I, I, was, uh, I was grabbing it at the end here and uh, grabbing it from Kmart, and it was a shell of itself. It, it sort of like started to lean toward the goth in a place it was like all kind of dark kind of material because you if you remember that it, it would be a breadth of stuff it would be mm-hmm. a nova story next to like a black panther uh, pretty bizarre in hindsight yeah yeah sure. i have quite a few of those because i would collect various stories like there's a there's i think like a 25 part gene colon black panther that i picked up one time as a lot uh but you get you know 25 of these you get 75 other stories in, in yeah. 25 issues like that and it is quite a wide range of like what Marvel had, maybe an inventory, uh, bizarre characters, new new creators, or creators who maybe didn't usually write their stuff, getting to write and draw, uh, uh, you know, eight pages or maybe a short series. Hey, do you recognize this person? I think they might be an intern from Wizard, and like a lot of people went through the Wizard intern. It looks really familiar, yeah, but no. I, I, can't, I, I can't put my finger on it, but I wonder if that's a Wizard intern, just based on why it would be someone that I might recognize. Because um, so many of their interns would go on. Ben Mara was was an intern there, I yeah, believe. Yeah, you know? right. So kind of an interesting intern program. There should be like an oral history of the Wizard interns talking about Wizard Magazine because I think they ran more from this era on to the end of the magazine and could probably tell some funny stories about stuff they saw in those offices. <laughs> Here's another piece for the cancellation. Punisher was probably one of the biggest characters in the early 90s that wasn't like an X character or mm-hmm. Spider-Man. All Punisher titles are ceasing, and Punisher is going to end with issue 104. I remember buying those Frank Turan joints, 94, 95, yes. at that same Kmart, man. So it's it's crazy to him, and, and that was a big deal to me. He would do other covers and things. I think, was 100 the, the Chromium cover with the suicide cover, where the gun is pointing at the guy's face? Ah, man, I can't remember what number that would have been, but that I was, was thinking Turan. of like, do you, the, the Joe Kubert run, was that Warzone? Oh, I don't remember. I can't remember if it was Warzone or War Journal, but it was in the 30s. Like, it would have been near the end of this cancellation. If it's Warzone, it would have been, like, in the last year of Warzone's run where Joe Kubrick comes on and does six issues, pencils and inks. They were doing what they could, man, and just did it. It just didn't work out. And uh, what else isn't working out? Nicieze on his ex-books, man. Dude was working on about five mm-hmm. books. Seven. Seven monthly titles. <laughs> and as of this, he'll be down to only one. Yeah, Jeff Loeb is the new bill at the ball. And uh, and he's going to take over this stuff. In this house, I have 75 issues of X-Force. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. You know what? X-Force was neat. Like, uh, once Liefeld left, they get Greg Capullo. They get Tony Daniel. They get Adam Polina. Yeah. I found all those artists interesting. Like, I would keep peeking in at X-Force because it'd be like, oh, that guy's art's pretty neat looking. It's true. Savage Dragon 13, take two. Eric Larson, very proprietary about his dragon, and he wasn't feeling that Jim Lee story. He proposed whenever they did Image X Month, like, let's just call it Savage Dragon number X. But he was uh, he was um, outvoted. 
I like that idea. If if the gimmick's X month, like number those issues I like it as well. X, I think that's a pretty smart plan. I, I like it as well. Especially like Plus he, it would have long shelf life. He's a guy who actually maintained his deadlines and kept the comic right. going and stuff. So of course Jim Lee isn't gonna turn his piece in on time. Image X month, I feel like that was like ten issues of Wizard ago, by the way. Yes, I thought that too. Whenever this <laughs> when I was reading this, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I never got uh, that one when it came out. Like, like I forgot, I forgot about Image X Month by the time the Jim Lee uh, Savage Dragon came out. It was much later when I got my hands on that. But... They cuts a promo here about it was so late that they he ended up with two October dated issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and one of the things he actually didn't appreciate was that uh, J- Jim Lee. Jim Lee's comic put one of his main characters like in the hospital, and and you know he was going somewhere with the story. He couldn't yeah, have it's that. Really funny. Dude, the comics industry is busted at this time, man. And nothing can uh, be more of an example of that than Mike Zeck not getting the opportunity to make comics at this era. He's drawing pogs. Yeah, what can you say about that? Do you think that's a choice that he wanted to step back from the sequential pages? And then once he did some pogs, he was like, I'm ready to get back in the comics game. Speaking of Tony Daniel, it's going to be coming to the uh, the Todd McFarlane universe with Alan Moore drawn Spawn Blood Feud. I remember the genesis of this comic in the fucking letters pages when people were uh, asking, Todd, what happens if Spawn gets bit by a vampire? And McFarlane, here, this is conjecture on Eddie P's part. He reads that letter and is like, oh, fuck, I'm making a comic about that. And then when he responds, it's like, well, we got something in the works for quite a while, bud. Yeah, yeah. Like we've been planning that. Like we've we've been working on that you didn't story. Give me that idea, letter writer. <laughs> Wouldn't it be fucked up if that if the person who wrote that letter, after all of our courtroom coverage, <laughs> like comes out and sues Todd now? <laughs> yeah, I think there may be a statute of limitations on that one. But uh, man, Tony Daniel looks like a, like a, a young kid there. And how great are, is it if you're him old? going from like I've been doing a couple Marvel books, and now I'm gonna go work with Alan Moore on Spawn? Yeah. Damn. Started off doing the elementals during that, like, last run, Andrew, Rev, Kamiko, Kate will never ever see those elemental comics again uh, era of, of comics. But yeah, he's a 24-year-old kid right here, dude. Let's do the company updates, man. Uh, you know what's, what's super noteworthy? Caliber Press, a.k.a. Goldfish Fans Rejoice. In May, a one-shot, a.k.a. Goldfish Queen uh, comic is coming out. This is probably the first mention of... A Michael Bendis comic in Wizard, but they don't even mention Michael Bendis's name. Yes. Yeah, really, uh, that, that's amazing looking back on it. Yeah. Because he's got to be one of the guys, at least in the last hundred issues of Wizard, that probably is mentioned the most. <laughs> By the way, he draws this comic. Yes. Get your hands on that shit. <clears throat> yeah, Caliber, man. That's uh, that, one, more, uh, one more book to add to your Caliber collection. Yeah, uh, Terry and the Pirates Returns of Comic Strips, the Hildebrandt Brothers, guys who are known for their painted portfolios and tchotchkes and stuff, going to try their hand at, at comics. And it's all on the strength of there being a potential Terry and the Pirates movie or TV show that, that never sees the light of day. Do you remember this at all? This was complete news to me reading this wizard. It was I, never I, in any of our papers. I never even heard of this. You know, like whenever there's like potential movie stuff, like this probably um, showed up in like some California newspapers or some stuff. Very strategically placed kind of nonsense. It's it's really cool to think of like uh, remaking or relaunching a newspaper comic strip. You know, I mean, like every movie feels like it's a remake of something. This would be the comics uh, beating the movies to it by 30 years. Right. Milestone Comics doing some updating and... Uh, 
Vampirilla getting a new model because the Vampirilla model is heading to uh, Extreme. Yeah, man. Freaking Rob <laughs> Pilder. Like, like Goldie in the Mac. Talk about another time period, like Booth Babes being a strategic part of your marketing promos. Hey, yo, Harris, she chose me. We could handle this like some gentlemen, <laughs> or we could get into some gangster shit. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jimmy. I got Primordial's comics at West Coast Video when I was a kid, man. This In this era, Little Ed is still developing his, his comic book tastes, man. And he's at that stage where, just give me comics. Whatever comics you, you have, like I'll, I'll take them and then I'll decide if I, if I like them or not. But I need them all. Got two issues of Primordial's at, uh, at West Coast Video. And Jimmy, I regretted it. I could have spent that money on bubblegum. I'll tell you, man, I don't understand how this was a company. And we're going to see some big ads for Techno later, in, I think, in this issue. But just th this is probably early, like, uh, L.A. kind of developers putting money into something. Because it's just all celebrity names above yeah. the titles that aren't actually even working on the books. It's, it's like, the biggest scam. I mean, even, you know, Neil Gaiman is in, mm -hmm. in there. Um, um, Mickey Spillane is in there. And... And what is that? You know, like, did, did they write something down on a napkin? Like, I have this idea about, uh, you know, Dr. Jekyll gets meets Frankenstein, and, and, and now you get to put your name on the masthead, probably cash a couple big checks. It's yeah, you do wonder, like, you get the name on the cover and don't do anything else. Give, give us a name of a couple characters, and you probably make more than the whole creative team of that issue. I mean, you better give a guy a million dollars because you're damaging his name. Like, like <laughs> I, yo, yo, Neil, I still think a technophage, man. Yeah, and I, I know you don't want us to. I, I, I always, uh, you look at all the comic companies that popped up in this time period, and man, Techno Comics, as bad as any of them. Yeah. Speaking of Adam Polina, yeah. a, there's a little cameo appearance right here. He does a wrestling book at, uh, at DC Vertigo, um, probably a little bit after this, Big Daddy something. Big, yeah, 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 I got my hands on that thing. It's like thing. nine issues. When he was a kid, he, he came to the um, Pittsburgh Comic Con, and he, he'd he made a comic with his friend called, like, Adam and Steve or something, and, and Steve had, like, a weird blockhead, like, uh, just a black and white goofball comic. Like, I got a couple issues yeah. of that straight, for, straight from these dudes when they were still kids. Dude, this Mark Silvestri article... Is that not the most 90s <laughs> totally. font you've ever seen in your life? Like, I can imagine this on the side of, like, some dip or yeah. something. Yep, 100%. Or the end of Rugrats. You know what, though? I like this as, like, a design element where it's just a line and then they run their margin along the line. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing reeks of 90s uh, magazine design. They're just... There's, there's not a big announcement. There's not much going... This is just a day in the life of Mark Silvestri and... <laughs> his ego is crazy man like i wonder um this is shortly after Silvestri leaves image and comes back like this is probably within the, the past year or or six months maybe even that Silvestri leaves image comics yeah are right? these are these books uh are these books top cow comics like, i think I, he was only gone for like 10 minutes i think he announced he was leaving and then like uh the image dudes were like, no, 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 what, what can we do? How do we keep you on board? Top Cow was a thing for a little while. Was it? I, I think it lasted a little while. Like, I, I I could be wrong, but... It's so funny, like, I had no real memory of that either. That's a thing that's been coming, because I was checked out at that point from yeah. the image stuff, but it's been popping up in different places. Like, the Neil Gaiman deposition, they talk about it at one point, where Todd has to leave a Neil Gaiman meeting because he just found out Sylvester's leaving. So that would have put you in that... Maybe it was 97. Maybe it's after this. I was thinking this article could be a result of like, 
Stick with us, Mark. Stick with Image and uh, still you know, Image we'll logos. Get you some 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 more promo here and there. Oh, yeah, still Image logos on this stuff. I this photo. Yeah. I fantasized about like, man, I want to work in a room with a bunch of dudes with drafting tables and comics all over the floor. Man, I think I might have this th that model of drawing table. I might have one of those. I mean, I think we're shooting on one. Uh, <laughs> it's and, pretty close. And I have a couple in the other rooms as well. Uh, this is the image I'm talking about, like seeing this step yeah. by step. When I was a kid looking at this, uh, there was a part of me that was like, well, cash it in, man. You're never going to draw that good. I still can't draw like that right there, man. He's like a real, you know, he's a savant. Like this is a very specific kind of comics. And he's one of the best at it, man. He was my favorite out of those guys, like for just pure drawing stuff. Like I liked him better than Jim Lee or Rob Liefeld out of the, the like the X guys. I think of them as a kind of a group. And so he's, I liked his stuff. So he's going to do some signings and stuff, and there are news cameras <laughs> that are going to be coming by, and uh, gets word that there are people with portfolios out there, and he's like, ah, I hope they're not horrible. <laughs> and and there's a bunch of other stuff where it's just like it's just like not good looks, man. Yeah, I thought uh, because he's become I think pretty polished. The way he comes off, like I've heard him on, on podcasts or not comics podcasts, you yeah. know what I mean? He's, he's sort of in that sphere, but he doesn't feel like he's gone through that yet. No. Like he's very, you know, flannel shirts and stuff just feels like a regular guy in this interview. You know, it's kind of before I think top shelf or top, <laughs> top cow uh, really transitions into what it is now. Lording over a studio, man, it's, it's got to take a certain like mentality. Cause like all these guys like sucking his balls and kissing his ass. It's kind of gross. It's like he like comes in and he's like Little Lord Fauntleroy and these guys. I mean, like, look at this. Like, that that guy's probably been coloring comics for three days straight without sleep. And Sylvester has a nice tan and uh, is put together. That's a great picture, though. That that monitor shows off so well. You know, like the art really, really pops and shines there. Yeah. And you can see the light source on those guys, but it's like the the artwork on screen looks like a million bucks. I in think that. Photo. I mean, I think that's kayfabe. Like the, this is the era of those cathode ray tube uh, monitors with the with the progressive interlaced screens, and you're getting stuff like that. If you look close, man, that's a clean line around those monitors. I think I think that's stitched in artwork, dude. You may be right, but uh, either way, it makes for a great photo. Like if you're showing off the, the 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 wizardry of computer coloring in that era, you could do a lot worse. There goes the boys with their portfolios, man. This is like you know the era of the Chappy App Entertainment Weekly article, comic book rookie, set to make two hundred fifty thousand in his first year. David Finch, one of the guys that gets some uh, some coverage in terms of like lists of artists. Jordan Raskin is listed in here, who I think only does that rip claw issue that's beautiful special. stuff it is really good but you know it's 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 a picture of like who was hot who was coming up but like young david finch mike turner's in here also man and and uh sylvester's like you know i could say this now because mike is like really developed and, and grown as an artist but his samples really sucked and he talks about like you know all these guys they really sucked like like i invite everybody who sucks to come in sits them down and there is a certain part of the craft of drawing that if you have some element of skill, there's a teachable part to drawing. You're not going to be an artist. You're going to be just a craftsman who could like build stuff. And all you have to do is watch any of the um, the Jim Lee uh, uh, Twitch videos. And he's breaking down the figure. And you can imagine that he's gone through this a million times with you know, Ryan Benjamin or like when, when it like Brett Booth and stuff, because he just has a system for building these figures. And you figure out like a certain version of that, man, you, you put in a couple hundred hours of that stuff. You're going to, 
you're going to be able to build a, a pseudo Jim Lee figure. I feel like Mike Turner is, you go Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld, blend their style, and you get a Mike Turner who, you know, superstar. Brett Booth, I think of as like Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane, and you blend their style, and it just didn't click for whatever reason. It might be because he was he was uh, given, what was that character that he had? Backlash, Backlash. Baby. <laughs> oh, he invented that character. If you, if you look at the little uh, copyrights, man, I guess copyright Brett Booth, he was real proud of that. And I think that character floats around in DC Comics to this wow, day. Wow, that's, that's quite a legacy. That's, yeah, yeah. J stay J corrected. J Jim, Jim is still putting them on, man. <laughs> you you see, like, these, like, little Jim, uh, these little Jim Lee, like, uh, sycophant guys, there's they're all still at DC doing shit. Can we jump to Adam Hughes? Yeah, let's do so. The good girl artist, man, and his reputation. And a lot of stuff has not changed, dude. The controversies of drawing, you know, sexy kind of shit, whatever you want to call it, man. The Mila Minera gimmick that people were crying about. The J. Scott Campbell gimmick that people were crying about. I think uh, recently there was a dude who drew a... Uh, um, spider woman and she had like heels on her on her feet and then that got the ire of the uh the, the crybabies did man. you ever see the robert zemeckis beowulf mm -mm. angelina jolie is playing uh oh shit i forget who she's playing Brindle? yeah maybe and she comes up out of like this this ooze right like this 3d kind of amalgamation of of, of real actress in 3d and the bottom is high heels it's, it's such a <laughs> weird moment of like wait a minute what <laughs> Uh, so, you know, this is a good good opportunity to talk about Gaijin Studios, man, because like that's where that's where Hughes is housed, man. Guys like uh, Jason Pearson, Brian, Brian Stelfreeze, Stelfreeze, Carl Story, Kali Hamner, they're all there in the in the room, and they hatched that plot to create Gaijin Studios at Heroes Con in North Carolina. It says in the sidebar, man. Yeah, really, uh, an interesting group. Like that that was somebody I kept my eyes on at that time banding together as a studio made a lot of sense you know it, it's it's similar to like what legend would do or what the image guys like you suddenly have some identity there where it's like i might not know jason pearson but he's part of this group let me give it a look yeah yeah absolutely work for me they even had a um imprint at dark horse called mm -hmm. a black noir yeah blank so, blank noir. blank noir yeah it, dude it was so cool seeing uh hughes mentioned love and rockets comics yep and when you see when you know, you're taking a look at a various works of his over the years, like this piece right here. Like I was, I was feeling uh, Jaime. Like you just got to take all that ridiculous color away, and you're left with a kind of a Jaime face with like no holding lines. So to see him mention Love and Rockets was, was was a revelation. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, completely. And it's interesting to think of what he's done since this time, because he's still pretty new here. What has he done? Just a bunch of covers, as far well, as I, I mean, know. Like, He's so known for the, like, I think of him as, like, everything that's in this article is what he's become. You know, like, like look at the samples on this spread. Uh, you know, this is sort of his career, except that it's 1995 here, and it's like, he's been doing this now for almost 30 years, and going strong, and, like, this was it. Like, he arrived, this is what he was doing, this is what he's done ever since. No, he totally, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just getting way more polished at it, man. Way less black lines. It would be, like, sepia line right there. Yeah, right. The adding like that digital component where he's doing some of the the art and the coloring part of it and stuff, which really you know sometimes really pops. Like some of his Catwoman covers would have like lighting, you know, it'd be like night scenes and just neon bouncing off of her costume and stuff that 
looks pretty impressive to me. I have his Netflix, uh, his 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 uh, Netflix, his Nexus comics, and I have a couple issues of that um, Justice League, and it's really really strong stuff. I think one of the issues he did was was the one that has the uh, the one funeral where it's Kirby as the like priest or whatever. I think he drew that one. Wow, yeah, I didn't realize that. Um, I wonder how well this article does in terms of like the bad girl art and the direction that Wizard I think takes. Because I think it just goes hardcore into this kind of direction. And like this article to me, it's just, it's all pinup art. Yeah, but like he's got the distinction and he's carried the distinction of being what they call good girl art. Mm -hmm. So like there's a difference, like Psyblade and shit, like that shit is bad girl art. But he puts like a soft kind of human face or something and that's called good girl art. That's that's of the Dave Stevens Dave school Stevens. or something. Yeah. And I think he mentions Dave Stevens in this article, too. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Rob Liefeld inking himself, man, with some crazy, like, yes. microns, man. Like, I love this shit. It's the same kind of um, ink ink line as uh, Blood Wolf yep. from dar from Darker Image. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, one weight of micron and then, like, some maybe a Sharpie or something that he hits, like, the heavy line with. They did this part wrong, though, man, because how do you put the, pro the um, Stephen Platt profit underneath the glory done by whoever this jobber is? I don't even, can't even understand that name. I'm with you. Can't explain it. <laughs> you you got to lead with the Stephen Platt. Another, man, photo that... Yes. I was like, I want all of that stuff. I want to have a little tray right next to my uh, drawing table built into it. I want to have mannequins that I could dress up so that I could study the drapery. I adore that you see like his his piece that he's working on is there like taped down to the that piece of masonite because um, there's airbrush on there and it doesn't look like he's doing it there at the desk. But I just imagine him moving that thing around, working on it in different places, different media pretty cool yeah Th these are the details that i would cling to uh you know pre-internet like you never you where else are you gonna see this stuff before totally. wizard i never saw a shot of like some cartoonist in a studio with with, with supplies and in process work and we had several photos in this issue alone dude i was still clinging to this this was my trade publication jimmy while you were graduating high school and about to go to iup i was i was every month grabbing this shit here not not so much for this though <laughs> What the hell? <laughs> MTV to the max, dude. This is the era, man. I was in sixth grade when this was going down. And the max on MTV, the buzz uh, around that was huge. And in school, there were like the rap kids. There were the skater kids. And there were the goth kids. The goth kids were freaking out about this. They could not freaking wait, man. And I was on board because of the comic book component. It's so bizarre to think of Sam Keith as goth in my mind and yet it, it perfectly like it makes perfect sense and even going back to like early sandman's where yeah. he would have that connection but it's not the part of his art that i think of but it is there and i could see how this would be like the the answer totally it's there in pathos it's mm -hmm. there in, in spirit in spirit uh the animated series like i've i've I go back to it. I need to revisit it. I haven't seen it since like when it first came out and it does make me curious to revisit it. It does really adventurous stuff, man. Like in, in that first episode, whenever they uh, pick up the Max after he beats up those those hoods who, who are trying to um, rob that lady, he's in the uh, the cop car and it's it's uh, MST3K type stuff where, where it's the yeah. Max in foreground and it's two live actors going back and forth with comic book cityscape in front of them in silhouette like it's fantastic you've you've, you've not seen stuff like that yeah, it's, I, it's it's a uh, roger rabbit kind of thing 
Man, it really does make me want to go see it now. I, because, you know, like, aren't there, like, panels that are, like, zooms and pans that are, oh, like, definitely. lifts of artwork, you know? So it's, like, cool to see. I remember that part making an impression. And I've also had a conversation with so many different cartoonists who you would think, like, they don't know anything about Image Comics or Sam Keith. And it's, like, they do because of that Max cartoon. Yeah. Like, that was a gateway for a bunch of people into a weird, weird part of comics. Max doesn't get the credit it deserves for being, like, if Fanagraphics had published Max, it would still work. It could have it could have easily been alternative comics or mainstream comics. Like it's it's the weirdest of all that all those comics. It uh, somehow transcended, and I, you know, the the timeline escapes me. But uh, I got issues of the Max in the '30s, um, at at the grocery store. Had newsstand distribution. It's on uh, newsprint. Wow. Uh, yeah, I got a, got a couple of them, and I don't know if it has to do with this. You have to almost imagine, though, right? Like you think so that that's that that's what makes that possible. Being on MTV in the '90s seems like you know part of what, the, what could you do better for a promo? Part of the MTV oddities uh, half hour, so it would be 15 minutes max, and then 15 minutes of the head. Mm-hmm. And there were, <laughs> I remember. Do was you remember the head, Bill Plimpton? No, it wasn't. It was a guy who has a very similar style, and I was looking that guy up. It has a has a big career. There there is popular stuff. That uh, that he's gone on to do. Yeah, remember the head. That was that was a, oddity's the right word for that. All that stuff. There was uh, other stuff called like the Brothers Grunt. Yeah. They would have uh, the resurgence <laughs> of uh, Speed Racer, which like my mom was like, you have to sit down and like check out Speed Racer. Like it would. There was a block of animation, probably all in the strength of uh, Liquid Television, sort of priming the pump, and it was it was. It was some of the coolest art ever. Like uh, the uncensored Ren and Stimpy's would be on there, and it would just be like one, like you know, pissing on the electric fence. Like, right, right. They they don't have that on the Nickelodeon version. Uh, anyhow, I could go on and on. It's about so this random. Stuff. Like it's just those two pages for that article, and they they basically give credit to like one executive at MTV that was into this. Yeah. And it's you think like that's what that's what gets the max onto television and in front of millions of people. Yeah. Just one person's choice there, the right person, the right time. Amazing. Just got to prove yourself right. Jimmy, I want to say this right now on this casting call three. Like, it's we're never going to make it a habit to, like, go through these very often. But I'm going to say it right now. If this was a cast to an Avengers movie, they would actually get me to watch it. Based on Howie Long? Howie Long, absolutely. And Fabio. Like, let me put, <laughs> put both of those guys in a room and let me see what that chemistry is like together. Yeah, and, you know... Emilio Estevez in there doesn't hurt for, my, for, for me as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> these, Boy, I hated these articles, though. This is a, such a, a waste of pages. Big boss man. <laughs> as Absorbing Man, it's fantastic. So, like, even they didn't even get the boss man part right. They're, they're doing the Guardian Angel gimmick. His yeah. worst gimmick. I would have accepted Big Bubba Rogers. Probably was current. Yeah. Probably was current at that time. Uh, Wizard will become this. You know, like, we're, yes. we're still getting a lot of articles and a lot of... Uh, substance you know just even those photos inside the studio is important to me but the magazine becomes this shit to the point where you're seeing sarah michelle geller on the cover and not even artwork anymore man right. george the animal still as well a part of the cast it's funny because they just like get somebody who kind of like tangentially looks like the character yeah. has nothing to do with anything they're terrible <clears throat> this this captain america design <laughs> Oh, is that Dave Hoover? Oh yeah, man, I, dude, I was picking these up off the newsstand every now and then. Man, that's a that design is just hilarious. It's the '90s, man. We gotta update our guy. Gotta put a bike like a helmet on him. Strap across his nose. <laughs> yeah, he's a ninja. <laughs> ninja Captain America. That's so funny. Really, you bad. mentioned that this is the April Fool's issue. 
and uh, it hasn't become obvious yet, but it does make me th look at every one of these articles in that way, and that feels like an April Fool's Captain America. I was not reading Captain America at the time, so that that costume is... I might have three issues it is. I might pick that one up if I see it in a back issue. <laughs> Dave Hoover's kind of fly to me, man, because he's using that Jim Lee kind of style and stuff. But when uh, Ron Garney and Mark Wade come back, that's when Patrick Daniel O'Neill is fucking tugging tugging his pool man and because there would be so many freaking articles about how great captain america is again and those dudes were really sucking off mark wade in a giant way with his like flash comics and all that so if you can't be with the one you love love the one you're with and comics were so bad at this moment man that if you could just like weave together cohesive narrative and have a little bit of an arc and have some things happen like you were gold and your career would be made. I really like the Ron Garney art for this Captain America run. And that, that picture is not the best representation it's of it because he gets into like kind of this blocky style where he's doing like solid blacks for shading and stuff. And it worked. I like, I thought it looked really cool and it was very different than most of that hatching stuff that was so popular at the time. Right. There is something bizarre about that magneto cover it's the same thing that is like done with this like it must be like the digital color programs at this time were just like bleeding edge yeah it looks really wild there because even the uh i mean look how big this kid's freaking uh signature is like it's all this like dig and it says digitally composed by so it's all like vector fucking weird you know, probably got the very first Wacom tablet or something. I'm surprised if Wizard doesn't hire him to do art. It like looks it, like it this feels, fucking cover That's shit. what I'm saying. Like, it feels like it's cutting edge enough. And that's a pretty polished figure. I don't know how that's generated, if it's like, that's a program too. Yeah. But it's it's polished enough that you could you could put that guy on the cover at the time. Hey, look at that Innovators ad. I, I saw an Innovators the other day in a 50 cent box. I didn't buy it because, like, I couldn't. Don't you just want to... Fix, edit that title a little bit. Add that extra and change ad. the font. <laughs> oh, dude, Thespian too. Like, like we saw the first ad for Thespian maybe seven issues ago, but uh, it did well enough, man, that they're gonna have an issue number two. Unbelievable. With more of that weird digital art. How much did they spend on advertising? This is a big magazine, man. I mean, it has. To, I just a whole page. Boy, is that shit comics? Man, About as bad as it gets. That Blood Wolf is really cool. Love it. Yeah, a lot of a lot of this stuff I'm I'm this, on board for. This, this, dude, this is just in Yeah, it makes what sense is going sense. on. You, you know what it is, man. It's like you're getting in there if you draw Garrow, and you don't like make fun of him too much. Like this is posturing. Like this guy was doing everything he could to get something printed. And also send it to Mad Magazine, not Wizard. <laughs> this Morton Thurberg guy, I was like, I fucking know this name. And I thought that he was the guy who like ran our school that we went and, and taught stuff at. But I that actually, would have been amazing. I actually was like at a little festival, and I think this is this is an artist who who's gone on to like do do stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I always look for names, but I don't. I'm not googling all these names. Yeah. So you never know. I didn't recognize that. None, none stood out, but I did notice that Danish name. Um, sounded like it should have been a student. The cut and print is interesting, man. Talking about a. A Blade movie that's in development hell, but uh, Wesley Snipes is interested. Yeah, that has to happen relatively soon, right? And and uh, David Goyer uh, attached to the script for it. I wonder if he. I think he ended up being part of it. Like I think no this idea. is a movie that goes. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think I think that's like you know they consider it the first one, but it's not that close, man. Like X Men and Blade. I think that's like 1999. I think it's way late. Yeah. Um. 
Tim Burton, Mars Attacks and Dinosaurs Attacks. I guess if Mars Attacks would have hit more, man, we would have got Dinosaurs Attacks. But I liked uh, Mars Attacks myself. Yeah, I'm a fan. Lost episodes of Dark Shadows have been found in the vaults. <laughs> That's what Tim Burton's really uh, excited about. <laughs> it's, it's so weird what they've put in these news stories. You know, like they were just anything they could find that's tangentially comic books or superheroes goes into this this Hollywood news. How about that Bray Fogel bloodshot, dude? Love it. Probably the best veins. bloodshot ever drawn. I agree with that. Although Barry Windsor Smith kicking blood blood shot off so you never know give him run for the money the veins in his arms and stuff and then you look at the lightning and it's like the same approach you're right man <laughs> yeah it's, it's a fractal yeah i dig those I, I have all those issues those were my favorites of the uh birthquake aftershock whatever the hell that storyline was from the hip man the gym shooter interview talking about uh he's like a cat because he has nine lives because he was a part of uh several companies man that that, that all went away uh, there was an interview in Wizard Magazine number seven where uh, almost could almost rubber stamp uh, a lot of these responses. We did the, the Jim Shooter deposition and he said basically the same thing verbatim for the first part of uh, that deposition. It does all blur together for me as to like what I'm reading about Shooter from where because yeah, you combine the, the, uh, the deposition and some, some interviews online and it, it is the same story that he's putting out there. But it makes me wonder like, what's real and what isn't about him because yeah. you hear so many stories for a while he was doing a blog and gary groth would just go in and point by point debunk like every single thing he said to the point of pretty much calling him a compulsive liar or something right and then it makes me wonder about all of this stuff because he talks about initiating or or you know being the guy behind like the incentive program at marvel and why like wouldn't he be loved like universally by freelancers if that were true right it's very hard for me to know what to think of this guy. Yeah, and as we get into the body of the thing, you know, the the person asking the questions, I mean, they, they are asking some of the right questions. Like, you know, you said that you were the creator of, of the graphic novel, and he's like, I said that we were the first mainstream publisher. So it's like, what, there's two, two companies? Uh, you know, Byron Price... He's not a mainstream publisher. Eclipse, they didn't even publish comics at, the, at that point. I still have them all on technicalities. And what he's talking about, I think, is the death of Captain Marvel. Is the yes. first uh, Marvel graphic novel. That was a big deal for, uh, for, for a certain segment of comics and cartoonists and fans and like whenever that was published. Yeah, that was man. serious stuff. Yeah, you know why? Because they couldn't put it in the regular long boxes. They were fucking <laughs> pissed off, man. <laughs> <laughs> really cool color on that stuff, man. Because like you would see the heavy metals and things and and the lush kind of color in European albums. So they had practical color. It might have even been Steve Olaf doing the colors on that stuff. And it would just so bright like when you take those doc martin dies and you shoot light at that white paper the psychedelia that you end up printing is not what was always the intention you know dude there's this one piece where he was talking about putting in a bid to buy marvel comics right and i would and it was a it, like they offered like something like 80 80 million dollars or 81 million dollars and uh, Ron Perlman, not the actor, uh, got the company for like 82.5. That's exactly right. 81 was their bid, 82.5 was Perlman's. And then it, you know, through the machinations of the speculator boom, it has like a market cap of like a uh, billion dollars at this point. Dude, I was. Two to, two to three billion. I was sitting down 
with uh, wrap your head around this one dude i was sitting down with uh chris claremont at the crib and he said that he uh frank miller and they were trying to talk john byrne into pulling together loot to buy marvel comics just the three of them and just john byrne wasn't going to be a part of that piece dude but the three of them were going to put in a bid man how I think about that some of the shit? stuff that Byrne was around that he went one way instead of the other direction. What I'm saying <laughs> That's, is, uh, imagine hard the hard to, to fathom. Um, what I'm saying is, these guys could have competed, just the three of them. You know what I'm saying? That's some loot. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah, this is uh, it, it, it is fun. It's it's a fun interview. You know, like he he talks about defending his editorial policies, how he's known as, um, you know, being so dogmatic in his views and he's like come on man i put bill bill Sienkiewicz on new mutants and uh told told him to uh reinvent comics hey bill, <laughs> reinvent comics um you know talks about teaching john byrne and frank miller storytelling how to do storytelling in comics yeah you're taking all the credit it's it's interesting man and then he runs through like the various companies that he's been involved with like valiance and defiance and now broadway and how the different s- s- setups go and uh you know having some bad deals with with people that maybe he shouldn't have been involved with as to losing control at some of these some of these companies pretty wild stuff the 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 kayfabe is real when you read enough of these articles because in those previous ones where he's talking about the innovation of doing the origin story of uh, warriors of plasma plasm through uh trading card sets and how this is going to revolutionize comics in this article he's talking about yeah, like, you know, we started behind the eight ball because they forced me into, you know, it was a, it was a card publisher, a card maker. Uh, they forced us into making these card sets and it put us behind the eight ball immediately because right. we put all of our energies into that thing. Uh, Warriors of Plasm comes out, that's 550,000 copies. We're going to have to do a shoot with uh, Dave Lapham and uh, get get some word on the street from from the from the source about how that kind of stuff went, man. But... Uh, these deals that he gets into, like, he's able to definitely talk rich-ass motherfuckers, man, into investing in companies. Because, like, what kills all of these companies and stuff is, like, is uh, run out of funding. And it just feels like, how, how did how did Gary Groth, like, stay in business for, for so, it's like, tighten your bootstraps, man. Like, what what is, what, where's all this money going? This is a, a hell of a quote to pull out about creator rights and how, uh, why didn't people defend him? Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It tells you a lot. That's probably the most revealing quote. To, to think that you're in the same position as Kirby and Ditko in terms of what he did at Valiant. Like, dude, you were management. Like, it's a it's a completely different... Just even in... You were getting salary there. Just even in previous answers, he's he's talking about, like, you know, I'm the steward and the, and the, and the uh, guardian of these properties, and I'm sorry if that impinges on your creative freedoms. And, and, and he's saying shit like that on one hand, but then he's like, hey, what about me? But at the last piece of that quote, I guess that's the price of being a pariah. <laughs> he also says that like, whenever he was Marvel editor-in-chief, the mandate was spend as little money as possible. You, you know, like, like just don't lose money. Mm-hmm. Where's that sensibility with all these companies that they get startup money and burn through it? Like, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's why not apply that piece of what you did at Marvel successfully for 10 years. Yeah, I mean, maybe that part is in his control or something. Who, who the hell knows? Because when you start to get these money guys in there, now they get to decide what happens with the money. Who knows Yeah, how that part works. 
That's a big number for uh, Warriors of Plasm, though. 550,000 for issue one. I got about four wow. or five copies. Like, <laughs> I do see like, a lot of those. Like when I went to, uh, it was uh, the Dollar Tree had uh, a grab bag, like a, you know, three, three in a poly bag um, gimmicks. And there would be a Warriors of Plasma in every single one of those. So, so I would go grab these things, end up with like a Kamui comic or something, and then just throw the Warriors of Plasms away. So I'm sure hundreds of thousands of those have been taken out of circulation. At least 20 or 30 of them got taken out of circulation by me. <laughs> the conceit of facial expressions with a rag on the face is something that I really enjoy. That's funny. The amount of like, nobody's face without a mask has this level of like wrinkles and stuff in it. Clint Eastwood's the only guy I can maybe think of or something. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. That's uh Tom McQueenie, fucking roach mill dude, joining joining Wildstorm. I love this manga one or excuse me. I, I, I launched back into young Eddie P. Manga one oh one. Yeah, awesome stuff. This is your uh this is your checklist of terminology, the language. Yeah. And and just things that you can expect whenever you come across uh these cartoons and just explains a little bit of like what you're seeing and and and, and why yeah this is really cool it gives you a uh, a really quick glimpse at how manga might be different than your marvel comic that you've been buying when you're at the store not a bad primer no not at all and i love that it includes things like pacing black and white like some some of the the formal elements there this is written by leah hernandez she worked at viz she knows the deal you know like if if i'm going to trust anybody to give me the scoop on on manga certainly from this time period i'm i'm going to leah yeah it's a it's a good hire on the part of wizard one to get manga in there and then to find somebody that actually has been close to it for a decade already yeah pick of the month man neighbor totoro Miyazaki flicks coming to uh, the States and they're trumpeting that this is Fox family. Like you're going to be able to find this at your Kmart's and stuff. You're not going to have to go to West Coast video to that back section, go past all the dark shadows tapes, go past all the Star Trek tapes, go past all the Doctor Who tapes to that little, that little corner that has a bunch of bubblegum crises and maybe like, you know, something cool here and there. This Toy Fair report was great for me, dude, because I don't ha I don't have and never had any of these figures. So that illustrates to me that like 12-year-old Ed is not fucking with toys anymore. All of that money is going to art supplies and comic books. You can buy a lot of comic books for the cost of a, a new action figure. That's true, man. I say all that right, and then I turn this page here, and I'm like, oh yeah, I had that Bad Rock. <laughs> I had Commando Spawn, and I had Chapel. Also, I had Dutch. And I and I had Cosmic Angela. Mount Boglia, Boglia. Yeah, is the worst character, character design, toy, like all of it. Like, look at that thing, man. <laughs> it's it's just so bizarre. It was a big chunk of plastic. Too. Oh yeah, I think it was like twelve inches high or something. It's probably like the King Kong Bundy or Andre the Giant of, uh, of McFarlane toys. Should have went hardcore and given him a little dinger in between the legs, man. Might as well. He's a naked demon, goddammit. Kabuki and David Mack in an ad. Yeah. I pulled Kabuki comics for future episodes. I have a big bunch of those things, man. Just the publishing history of that book would be fascinating to think about. Palmer's Picks, baby. Dandy Don, Pittsburgh Zone. This is a really fun article, and it kind of uh, positions him as being like, from the very get-go, how do you describe his work? 
because yeah. he's doing funny comics, he's doing sort of parody comics, but he has such a classic, one of the best figure artists in comics. Really good, man. Like, I've, I've seen his sketchbooks, dude, and it's just... It's just twisted up figures in like very believable poses. The volume of every figure, like he's he's really broken down uh, the construction of the human body, and he could twist it up in any shapes he wants. Yeah, very high level of craft on on the drawing side, especially. But like, it's also talking about how like his sense of parody and stuff. You know, Patrick Daniel O'Neill's going to get the jokes. Like, no kids getting the jokes. All of that said. I have his bibliography, dude. I have like every comic he's ever done, and I I was picking up Bizarre Heroes at this at this time. I was I was scooping all that stuff up. It was it was later that I got hold of Wendy Whitebread, you know, like they, uh, somehow comic shops here wouldn't wouldn't let me get that one. But I have all the um uh border border worlds, mm -hmm. all that shit. I like his work a lot. Yeah, I I would love to talk to him. Like he's he's a guy on my list of uh, like interviews that I think would be interesting because. He was there through a very interesting time in comics, 80s and 90s of Indian self-publishing. Like, that's some of my favorite comics history, and he was front row of all that stuff. Now, check this out, man. He talks about how Bizarre Heroes, be, because of the glut of Marvel and DC Comics, just tremendous output of stuff, like, taking over the comic shop shelves, uh, the comics that he sells are to people who are in the know and they go directly into the pull list like there there are no copies of his comics on the racks and and i concur like i heard about his comic and i went to the comic shop looking for the stuff found none of them on the racks i asked for it and they they pulled them for me but they did not keep copies on on the rack and he's talking about how like no no matter what level of publicity he gets these shops just aren't even taking that chance and Ugh. Yeah, this is one more sign of where we're at in terms of the 90s collapse. You know, they haven't gone quite, uh, they haven't announced it in Wizard News, but it, signs are all there. Like, all the people who are actually involved in publishing are talking about it. Jim Shooter and, and uh, Don Simpson here in this issue, uh, and things are going to progress that direction for years. Yeah, like, this is uh, up to Bizarre Heroes number 11. I think they go to less than 20 issues, maybe 18. And I think that the last couple are gimmicked a little bit so that it would be like the slick number one. But if you look into Indicia, it's Bizarre Heroes number 18 just to generate yeah. a couple, a little bit of cash flow in this motherfucker, man. But fantastic comics. Like, I, re I really dig this stuff. And I think that um, that first Bizarre Heroes, like Bizarre Hero Zero, some really cool duo shade usage in there. Yeah, it's good stuff. Glad to see him in Palmer's picks here. And then you get into uh, all the, the techno comic ads, buying a big clip of those things. Like, look at this junk. Neil, just taking checks, man. <laughs> just just taking checks. I think Brian Talbot is involved in one of these, and I feel like he's probably, like, of all the creators that actually worked on the pages, probably the top dog in that in that regard. See, this is where we Rick start. Veach might have done some stuff in one of them, too. Yeah. This is where we start getting into the... Uh, uh -huh. The April Fool's part of the uh, issue with Adventures of Kool-Aid Man. See, I had no idea this was the April Fool's issue, and I'm reading this, and I'm like, Action Comics number one, Adventures of Kool-Aid Man. What the <laughs> heck is going on here? <laughs> Picks from the wizard's hat. There's like most of the right. people in this issue didn't know it was an April Fool's issue. I'm telling you, man, like, <laughs> like these guys could just play it straight, and you would just never know. Every issue is an April Fool's issue is what I'm saying. Yes. 
didn't pull anything from the pit from uh, picks. Yeah, I was trying to think if anything stood out. I thought there was something, but I can't remember. Stray bullets number now. two. Oh First yeah, Virginia that was Applejack. it. Yep, yep, yep. Stray bullets. Um, Tyrant is listed in this one as well. Tyrant number four. But Stray Bullet's pretty cool. This is Dave Lapham finally having enough with the corporate comics and, and going off on his own, writing, drawing, and publishing his own books. Fantastic. This is where you see the April Fool's nonsense. Yeah. Ten heroes and villains we'd like to see dead. Like, what a waste. So stupid. Top ten comics. Uh, funny comics. What the? Not coming in at number one. I used to used to pick those up, and we've covered a couple of those on here. Pretty bad though. Yeah, shitty yeah, comics. You, you got to find the, uh, the the quality pieces. That what if number thirty four is actually one that I have pulled for future consideration, where it's like all all comedy stuff. It's just that one issue of what if. Um, man, it feels like that's the tri the the run for what the. Right. If if you've ever seen that one. I got the I got the Kirby Fantastic Four one pulled for a future episode. Yeah, I think I have doubles of that. Um, let's skip ahead to the McFarlane. Yes. Let's you take a look at Pittsburgh they're, they're, Let me show one, one piece, and I don't have any details for it, but the top 100, they're covering the last, like, issues, or, or numbers 200 to 300 in the Diamond Monthly top. It's kind of cool to see that. Yeah. You know, it's the bottom half of the top 300 comics, but it's kind of neat to see, like, where things come in on that list. And, uh... You know, it's funny to see they, they should do the counts and they don't where they, you know, they always list like how many Marvel comics are in the top 10 or whatever, because you realize just how much Marvel and DC flood the uh, flood the numbers. Right. You know, they're not content with having dominating the top 100 like they want all of this. They want all the shelf space. They want that market share. But look at that, man. Still making the top 300 straight bullets. Number one. Number 300 on here, by the way, is Manga Vision Volume 1, Number 1, published by Viz, which eats everybody's lunch in comics in North America now. Oh, absolutely. I was just in Target, and there's a section in Target with, like, One Punch Man's and One Piece. And it isn't close. You yeah. know, it's like Viz, and then I guess Scholastic maybe is number two. I bet Scholastic is number one. Scholastic had... There was way more Scholastic stuff, uh, comics, down at the uh, at the Target than there was Viz. Well, I mean, that info's out there. Yeah. It isn't Marvel or DC, though. Absolutely not. Not even close. <laughs> in fact, in fact, at... Uh, the Target, what was available in there was a little catalog that you could order DC Comics. It wasn't <laughs> even a comic. It was like, this is what the DC Comics are out right now. Can't even imagine explaining that to like a 12-year-old. <laughs> Dude, the actual Pittsburgh Comic Con is happening, man. Yes. At the Pittsburgh Expo Mart, place where we rocked, man. First place I hung out with you. Some many years later, but also conventions at the Syria Mosque, man, which is a legendary little venue here in town. All the best bands came there. I think Nirvana played there. And there's stories of, I forget what the band's name is, but it's a legendary piece, man, where before the show, they were hanging out. This guy asked to borrow a cigarette, and he had a severed head in a little duffel bag. <laughs> <laughs> The winds of war, man. The ego column. I don't know how much longer Todd McFarlane's going to be writing this stuff, but this one is perfect. He's calling a lot of stuff out, uh, and it all revolves around Marvel uh, acquiring Hero Heroes World, and it's talking about the inevitability of Marvel distributing completely through Heroes World, uh, which is going to make other distributors go away 
it's going to make other publishers have to do exclusive deals yes uh other distributors going to like disappear uh b come up with another way to survive i don't know that anybody figured that part out only only todd did because he diversified his portfolio with toys and whatnot it is it is prophetic it is like i, I gotta read some of the actual quotes here within a year or two the distributors will go out of business some of the small press publishers will be wiped out this is literally what happens this is the the most perfect column mcfarland's ever written like i don't know what tea leaves he was reading but man was he reading them clearly like this is totally accurate uh, this will put a pull and tug on the retailer, which isn't really fair. What Marvel is intending to do will completely change all the rules on how comics get from point A to point B. It will become a survival of the fittest situation for both publishers and retailers, and I would suggest creators. It will become a war. I don't know about the war part, but man, everything else in here is a exactly what happens. It's incredible. It is. And you know what's funny is in that Wizard News, I believe is, is uh, you know, like you, you see the Marvel... You know, it's been building. This Heroes World stuff is not a secret that just gets launched. Like, McFarlane sees it coming, and it's hinted at. The pieces are all here. You could put this together in a scrapbook and have the whole story from the last several issues of Wizard. So so Marvel goes with Heroes World. There's still a couple big distributors out there, man. You have Diamond, you have Capital, and some various small ones. DC Comics ends up uh, doing an exclusive with, uh, with Diamond. And... Geppy starts signing up other people, man. Archie, like like all the other little publishers. And there was like that big event. Was it San Diego where Larry Martyr and the Image guys are like up in the room? And and the way the Fantagraphics dudes tell it is like everybody's just like sitting there waiting. Because what could have happened was uh, Image would have could have gone to uh, Capital City. And they were they were the third biggest publisher at this point. This, oh, Image, right. Image Comics. They could have gone with Capital City, and then there would have been three distributors of comics. They hedged. They went with Diamond, and we have the comics industry that we have today. Yeah, they they basically teamed up with DC Comics. Yeah, and went to Diamond. Yeah, yeah, and that's and you could you could say that that's right here also, man. Like I think Marvel was making a big big mistake, seeing as how how it holds thirty five percent of the market. It's going up against the rest of the sixty five percent. That's that's almost McFarland saying like, yeah, we're gonna have to connect with uh, with DC, go with Diamond. Right, because if they don't, then it's not 35 versus 65. It's 35 versus 30 and 30 or yeah. something. Man, it's interesting. And, you know, he, he closes out and says, the war has begun and I'm going to be on the side of the winners. And you think, like, cut ahead a little bit and Marvel's bankrupt. Right. And it sure looks pretty good. I think McFarlane was somebody who talked about, you know, getting a bid in to buy some Marvel assets or buy Marvel when they went bankrupt. It certainly in the short term over the next five years will look like day one and marvel didn't and then you know you think like eventually it builds back up and now there isn't even marvel it's just disney but it's a fascinating article man for all the because these ego columns have been all over the map sure this one it's it's amazing one of the best article is one of the best and i don't understand this at all this is complete kayfabe Okay, that makes sense. Complete case. I was reading this, and I'm like, oh, man, this 20-year-old dude, he's doing some indie book. Like, I don't know this book. And I was looking at that art, and I was like, that art looks pretty good. What is this? You know, Warmonger or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With two R's. With two I'm R's. reading this stupid April Fool's article. 25 years later, Ed, uh, I wish I'd have known what was April Fool's and what wasn't. Like, 
I don't know, 12 pages in here, clearly April Fool's. <laughs> when, when, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like when he's talking about like my favorite comics, Team America and stuff like <laughs> you, you know, you know the guys on the motorcycles. It's oh, shit like man. that. So you know this dude right here. He he worked at he worked at Wizard and stuff and and put his name. His, yeah, his it, face to the. Is, the is he cutting programs on uh, Milgram then? Inspired by Al Milgram's artwork on Marvel's West Coast Avengers and Secret Wars Two. <laughs> That's rude. Hey, Milgram may not be a Todd McFarlane, but the guy's got the basics down. Hilarious. That's not an untrue statement. I see myself taking over the art on Spawn in like two years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done, Wizard. Uh, that, th this one, you fooled me. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll end with this Michael Golden Spawn, which is fantastic. On oh, those like weird elongated cards. They were like trying to change the card market with these like elongated joints. All the image guys had a set of these. Don't, I saw don't they Gen know 13. from the uh, doing the non-comic book sized issues? From how that right goes? on twenty ninety nine or whatever that is? Not the best idea. Alright, man, dude. We did a fresh wizard. Kind of a fun one. You know, Wizard is still good for a while. Greg Capolo hasn't even showed up on the Brutes and Babes kind of article. Adam Warren hasn't showed up on there. There's a Randy Bowen uh, article in the future showing how to how to um, sculpt figures. There's a Todd Klein lettering demo. There's a lot of good stuff in Wizard in the future before it completely plummets. You you named about four or five things there, Ed, and I'm wondering is that over like the next thirty issues? <laughs> <laughs> The ratio is not real good on the uh, on the good to bad, but hey, there's definitely some stuff I'm I'm curious to see, like like the heroes world. That's gonna be a fat. That's that's the interesting stories to me going forward. Yeah. No drawing uh, column at all in this issue. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, the wizard episodes, maybe they become a half hour. Maybe they become 15 minutes. Who knows? Yes. Good to go. I am. K favors like follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the bell, we'll notify you when new vids are available. What's out there, Jimmy? Hulk Grand Design, man. Hulk Grand Design. Hulk Grand Design. Tell everybody about Hulk Grand Design. Uh, Red Room Comics in the Wild, man. The anti-social network in stores uh, right now. Get it while it's hot. Uh, Red Room Trigger Warnings coming out February. Dude, we're going to have comics coming out the same months uh, some of those times, man. We're going to have to plan some some big stuff uh, in 2022. Yeah, maybe, maybe some cartoonist kayfabe touring. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, man. Uh, hit our link trees up in the description below this video. You're going to see what we're up to. You're going to be able to order and pre-order our comics. What else do we have out there, Jimmy? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. Given those marching orders, we're going to be on our way. Read more comics.